Chapter Three of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Thrilling Incidents. After a brief rest, our explorers continued their voyage. They warped the vessel round the cape near which they found shelter into a bay which opened to the north and west. Along the shore of this bay they toiled for several days and reached its head. It seemed impossible to go farther, for the ice was already thick and the winter at hand. A majority of the officers, in view of these facts, advised a return south. But Dr. Kane thought they might winter where they were, or further north, if the vessel could be pushed through the ice, and their explorations be made with dog sledges. To learn more fully the practicability of this view, he planned a boat excursion. While this was in contemplation, an incident came near ending all further progress of the expedition. The brig grounded in the night, and was left suddenly by the receding tide on her beam-ends. The stove in the cabin, which was full of burning coal, upset and put the cabin in a blaze. It was choked by a pilot-cloth overcoat until water could be brought. No other harm was done than the loss of the coat and a big scare. About the 5th of September, the doctor and seven volunteers started in the boat for Lorne Hope to see the more northern shoreline. The boat was abandoned at the end of twenty-four hours, all the water having turned to ice and the party tramped many a weary mile, carrying their food and a few other necessary things. Dr. Kane attained an elevation of eleven hundred feet, from which, with his telescope, he looked north beyond the eightieth degree of latitude, and through a wide extent of country east and west. From this observation he decided that sledging with dogs into and beyond this region was practicable. This had seemed doubtful before. He therefore returned with this decision to put the advance into winter quarters immediately. A few facts interesting to the scientific were learned on this excursion. A skeleton of a musk ox was found, showing they had been, at no distant time, visitors to this coast. Additions were made to their flowering plants, and up to this date twenty-two varieties had been found. The brig was now drawn in between two islands, and the mooring lines carried out. The explorers were in a sheltered and, as to the ice, safe winter home. They called it Rensselaer a harbour. Near them an iceberg had anchored, as if to watch their movements. A fresh-water pond on the upland promised them its precious treasure, if they would cut for it. An island a few rods distant they named Butler Island, and on this they built a storehouse. A canal was cut from the brig to this island, and kept open by renewed cutting every morning. They then run the boat through this canal, thus transferring the stores from the hold to the storehouse. While one party was thus engaged, others were equally busy in other directions. The scientific corpse selected a small island, which they called Fern Rock, and put up a rude observatory, 
from which not only the stars were to be watched, but the weather, the meteors, and the electrical currents were to be noted. While this outside work was going on, Dr. Kane was taxing his ingenuity to arrange the brig, now made roomy by the removal of the stores, so as to have it combine the greatest convenience, warmth, and healthfulness. A roof was put over the upper deck, which was then made to answer for a promenade deck for pleasure and health. Even the wolfish Eskimo dogs were remembered in this general planning. A nice dog-house, cozy and near, was made for them on Butler Island. But the dogs had notions of their own about their quarters. Though so savage at all times, as to be willing to eat their masters if not kept in abject fear, yet they refused to sleep out of the sound of their voices. They would leave their comfortable quarters on the island, and huddle together in the snow, exposed to the severest cold, to be within the sound of human voices. So they had to be indulged with kennels on deck. While these matters were being attended to, the hunters scored the country, to learn what the prospect was for game. They extended their excursions ninety miles, and returned with a report not very encouraging. They saw a few reindeer, and numerous hares and rabbits. It was plain that hunting would not make large returns. The winter came on with its shroud of darkness. On the 10th of September, the sun made but a short circuit above the horizon before it disappeared again. In one month it would cease to show its disk above the surrounding hills. Then would come a midday twilight for a few days, followed by nearly a hundred days of darkness in which no man could work. Even now at noon the stars glowed brightly in the heavens, though but few of them were the familiar stars of the home sky. While the work of which we had spoken was going on, Dr. Kane's thoughts were much upon the necessity of establishing, before the winter nights fully set in, provision depots at given distances northward for at least sixty miles. These would be necessary for a good start in the early spring of a dog-sledge journey north poleward. For the spring work the Newfoundland dogs of which he had ten, were in daily training. Harnessed to a small, strong, beautifully made sledge called Little Willie, the doctor drove his team around the brig in gallant style. These Newfoundlanders were a dependence for heavy draught. The Eskimo dogs were in reserve for the long, perilous raids of the earnest exploration into darkness and over hummocks. While all this busy preparation was going on, the morning and evening prayers were strictly maintained, bringing with them a soothing assurance of the divine care. On the 20th of September, the provision deposit partly started on an experimental journey. It consisted of seven men in all, McGarry and Bonsell officers. They carried about 1,400 pounds of mixed stores for the cairns. They took these stores upon the strong, thorough-built sledge Faith and drew it themselves, by a harness for each man, 
consisting of a ruradi, or shoulder-belt, and track-line. The men then generously did a service they would in future have the dogs do. While this party was gone, the homework went on, enlivened by several incidents, involving the most appalling dangers, yet not without some comic elements. The first was occasioned by rats. What right these creatures had in the expedition is not apparent, nor do we see what motive impelled them to come at all. If it was a mere love of adventure, they, as do most adventurers, found that the results hardly paid the cost. They were voted a nuisance, but how to abate it was a difficult question. The first experiment consisted of a removal of the men to a camp, on deck for a night, and the fumigation below, where the rats remained, of a vile compound of brimstone, burnt leather, and arsenic, but the rats survived it bravely. The next experiment was with carbonic acid gas. This proved a weapon dangerous to handle. Dr. Hayes burnt a quantity of charcoal, and the hatches were shut down after starting three stoves. The gas generated below rapidly, and nobody was expected, of course, to go where it was. But the French cook, Pierre Schubert, thinking his soup needed seasoning, stole into the cook-room. He was discerned by Morton, staggering in the dark, and, at the risk of his own life, he sprung to his relief, and both reached the deck, bewildered, the cook entirely insensible. Soon after this, Dr. Kane thought he smelt a strange odor. The hedges were removed, and he went below. After a short tour between decks, he was passing the door, which led to the carpenter's room, and he was amazed to see three feet of the deck, near it, a glowing fire. Beating a hasty retreat, he fell senseless to the floor at the foot of the stairs, which led to the upper deck. The situation was critical. A puff of air might envelop the hold in flames, with the doctor an easy victim. But the divine hand still covered him. Mr. Brooks, reaching down, drew him out. Coming to the air, the doctor recovered immediately, and communicated his startling discovery, quietly to those only near him. Water was passed up from the fire-hole alongside, kept open for just such emergencies. Dr. Kane and Olson went below. Water was dashed on, and they were safe. The dead bodies of twenty-eight rats were the net result of this onslaught with carbonic acid gas. But they were but few among so many. The rat army was yet in fighting order. The other incident was less serious, yet quite on the verge of fatal consequences. Several Eskimo dogs became the mothers of nice little families. Now these young folks in the kennels were considered intruders by the master of the vessel, rather hard on them, since they were not to blame in the matter. But it happens with dogs as with the human race, that they sometimes suffer without fault of their own. Six puppies were thrown overboard. Two died for the good, their skins might do as mittens, and, alas, Seven died more dreadful deaths. They were eaten by their mamas. 
whether these puppy calamities bore heavily upon the brains of the dog mothers or not we cannot tell but the fact recorded is that one of them went distracted she walked up and down the deck with a drooping head and staggering gait finally she snapped at peterson foamed at the mouse and fell at his feet she is mad exclaimed peterson hydrophobia was the dreadful cry which passed about the deck dr kane ran for his gun he was not a moment too soon in reappearing with it the dog had recommenced her running and snapping at those near the newfoundland dogs were not out of her reach and the hatches leading below were open but a well-directed shot ended at once her life and the danger it was now the tenth of october the sun though just appearing above the horizon to the surrounding country only sparkled along the edge of the hilltops to the gazers from the advance the depot party had been gone twenty days and dr kane was beginning to feel anxious about them he harnessed four of his best newfoundlanders into the little willie and accompanied by john blake started in search of them for a little time the party progressed very well but after a while the new ice between the broken floes was found thin the seams thus frozen had to be leaped sometimes they were wide and the dogs in their attempts to spring across broke in three times in less than as many hours one had received an arctic bath the men trotted alongside leaping walking running and shouting to the dogs extended and exhausting diversions were made to avoid impossible chasms or too steep hummocks thus four days had passed in a fruitless search for the missing ones on the morning of the fifth day about two hours before the transient sun showed his glowing disk dr kane climbed an iceberg to get the sight of the road ahead in the dim distance on the snow a black spot was seen is it a bear no it now stretches out into a dark line it is the sledge party they see their leader's tent by the edge of a thinly frozen lead into this they launch their boat and come on singing as they come the doctor in breathless suspense waits until they draw near and counts them one two three four five six seven they are all safe three cheers go up from both parties followed by hearty handshaking and congratulations the depot enterprise was a success End of chapter three